more time. Uh, I missed you. Glad you're back with us. Uh, We've had a lot of exciting things happen in the last few weeks, some great guests. Um, And so we are on episode 38. um, And I'm really excited about tonight's episode. It was sort of serendipity how it came about. um, And it just was really sort of evidence to me that there are no coincidences and that, you know, the universe moves you in the direction it wants you to go in if you just allow it. So um, we are going to be talking tonight about, um, you know, just just some things that probably we don't talk a lot about in our community. And that's black women and disordered eating and eating disorders and string sports and all kinds of good stuff. So I would like to welcome friend of the podcast, Kayla, to join me this evening. Hi, Kayla. Hi. I'm so, so excited to talk to you. Um, why don't you tell the listeners who you are and, you know, what you do and all that good stuff? All right. So my name is Kayla. I am 24, born and raised in New Jersey. Um, I currently work at a community mental health center. And on the side, I powerless and I'm also training for strong women. Ooh, um, yes. Yeah, my first powerlifting meet is next February, so I'm very excited about that. Yay! Okay, great. I can't wait to talk about that later, too. <laughs> um, so, you know, I reached out to you, Brianna, um, because um, everything that you talk about on this show is super important. And um, one of the things that I've been focusing on is disordered eating among uh, the community with people of color. Um you know, going on with that. Awesome. Well, that is certainly one of the many reasons I wanted to talk to you um, and get you on the podcast. So that's actually something that's been of interest to me for quite some time. Now, you know, I kind of had to dig around and think back, um, you know, in my own experiences, had I, you know, had I ever had any issues around, you know, disordered eating slash eating disorders. And I, I don't think I've had issues with eating disorders per se, but I will say this. um, So a lot of folks that list that are listening might know, you know, prior to me um, becoming involved in string sports and powerlifting and CrossFit, um, I was a competitive bodybuilder for a really long time, um, at least, you know, well over Ten or eleven years, and my first foray into that, you know, you you have to diet down pretty low, and um, you know, I competed, um, it was fine, I did great, you know, and at the time I was like, I looked the best I've ever looked, and what I realized though was that after I competed, um, I I really hadn't given much thought thought to sort of the after part of the process, like what happens after you get off the stage and how do you mm-hmm. eat, and I just sort of thought. I can eat this way all the time and look like this all the time. Yeah, that's not at all true. Um, no. And it really started messing with my psyche and messing with how I viewed food. So, you know, I made the decision at that point. I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, I, I had enough foresight to say something's not right here. And so I stepped away from it for a really long time, um, you know, a good seven or eight years. And then once I started getting involved in other things and sort of getting a handle on, you know, how to eat, like just, you know, kind of a regular, regular, regular person and all of that, um, I was able to go back into it because I kind of felt like I had some, you know, uh, unfinished business, so to speak. So I was able to go back into it and, you know, with a much healthier attitude, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the second time around, um, 
you know, I decided to step away from, from bodybuilding for a variety of reasons, but I just, I don't know. It, it just kind of felt like food was becoming a weird thing again. And not again, not that I had any trouble eating, you know, all the calories that I needed to eat and what, what have you, but I just found myself becoming overly concerned with, you know, missing macros and not meeting macros and, you know, oh my gosh, I have to go to a restaurant and da da da. da. And I just was like, I can't, I don't want to go down that path. So, um, you know, I will say that in that respect, I felt like things were kind of borderline for me with respect to my relationship with food. So, you know, I, I, and plus I was at that point already in love with powerlifting. So I said, you know, and I get to eat. Okay. Yeah. It's time. (laughs) Um, so at any rate, that was one of the things that also kind of prompted my interest in this subject. I've, I've even noticed some similar themes creeping up when I look at, um, strength sports and, you know, any sports that are sort of associated with a weight class. And there's, you know, I think some issues around that. But more importantly, I really wanted to just explore why this is such a hush-hush taboo topic, you know, amongst black women. And it's almost this perception that, you know, eating disordered and disordered eating is a white girl thing, right? Um, right. Clearly, that couldn't be further from the truth. So, I thought that, um, you know, and I know that you have experience with this personally and professionally. So that's why I really, really wanted to take the opportunity to um, chat with you about it. So I guess if I wanted to start out um, in terms of personally, you know, when and how did you notice or did your relationship with food sort of first change from just kind of, you know, whatever to something that maybe was a little sort of on, you know, beyond the pale, as they say? Right. So when I was 11, actually, um, I started my eating disorder behavior um, and started mm-hmm. with restricting and purging. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of my friends were doing it. And they didn't really know what to do. They knew that you weren't supposed to do it, but mm-hmm. they didn't know any further than that. And um, I was in sports. I was overweight when I was younger. So I was in sports all through middle school, through some of high school, um, and now as an adult. And, um, you know, so, I mean, I was bullied sometimes when I was younger, but I read a lot. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they teach you in health class about these things, right? But they kind of just glaze over it. And eating disorders are such a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not not even really just about food. It's uh, it's about control. It's about... um, being able when everything in your life is chaotic that's like one of the one things you can control what mm-hmm. goes in and what goes out of your body um so I have to say when I was 11 and that continued on through middle school um and through high school and it wasn't until I was 17 that I reached out to my parents and let them know that was going on mm-hmm. um and re- uh, sought treatment and I ended up missing half of my senior year of high school um, and I was in the hospital for eating disorder treatment. Mm. And mm-hmm. so growing up, um, I also am diagnosed with bipolar two disorder and mm-hmm. I'm mixed. So my father's black, my mother's white, uh, she's Hungarian and Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mostly grew up around my white family. So I remember being in treatment and uh, multifamily therapy mm-hmm. and my dad was like, Hey, look around the room. What do you see? I'm like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? There's a bunch of girls here talking about eating disorders. And he's like, no, look, you're the only black one here. Like, we're not supposed to get this thing. This is a white person thing. Mm. And so 
you know, naively and ignorantly, I grew up, literally grew up thinking that this must be my white side. This is not, this is not other black people, people of color. We don't have mental illness. We don't get eating disorders. This is not a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And obviously that's an issue, right? Because we're taught in all the, so many different cultures um, that we have to be stronger. We have to be wise. Strong black woman trope. Yeah. You know, we have to keep fighting. We, um, because we have tougher battles to face than what's going on inside of our head. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a root back, you know, back to our ancestors on why we have this mindset. You right. know, my dad didn't even understand why I was stressed or what was mm-hmm. even triggering mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Um, because yeah. my stress now was way different from his stress back in the 80s. Right, right. That's sort of uh, another question I was actually going to ask you. Was there you know, sort of one precipitating event or factors that kind of led to, um, you know, your struggle with disordered eating or was it just kind of a gradual sort of thing that happened? Um, I don't recall what exactly triggered it, mm-hmm. but I know that when I started it, it got worse and it never really ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became almost like basically muscle memory. Anytime mm. I felt uncomfortable, it really had nothing to do with what I ate necessarily. Uh-huh. A lot of people have the misconception that, um, you know, like with eating disorders, it's if you eat some, something unhealthy, you know, right. quote unquote unhealthy, that people want to get rid of it um, mm-hmm. or that all eating mm-hmm. disorders are the same. Um, but it really could just be like a banana. And if I, right. if I felt uncomfortable, I couldn't do it. Mm. Um, so nothing necessarily triggered it, but... It, it did spiral out of control several times. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like you could, you could not do it for a while, but then, like you said, when something happened, either stress related or whatever, you would kind of slide back into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and by not doing it for a while, my while could be one week. Mm. My while okay. could be one day back, you know, back when I was really deep into it. Um, right. And you have to take it day by day, minute by minute, sometimes even breath mm-hmm. by breath. Um, yeah. Because eating disorder is actually considered an addiction. So mm-hmm. it's just like anything else. Um, it's uh, it's kind of scary because it's like, you know, you have, you know, like, all right. Like, for example, right now, I meal prep um, every week. Mm-hmm. I know what I have to eat every day in order to keep my strength up and keep my mm-hmm. body going. But I'll still have thoughts like, oh, if you don't work out today, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be mm-hmm. able to eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that mindset of earning your food. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, you know, it still stays with you whether you're acting on it, like, physically or not. Right. Right. So prior to, I know you mentioned that, um, you know, you started having sort of these um, struggles when you were about 11. But so prior to to that happening or are you kind of getting into that space do you remember, do you recall sort of like what your family dynamic was with respect to food, nutrition, things like that? And how, how did that impact you growing up? I know you mentioned you grew up with, um, or you spent more time around your mom's family and, you know, I, I don't think it would be completely off base for me to say that, you know, 
white women and black women definitely view, you know, sort of food and things like that differently in, in a lot of ways or, or and families really. Um, so what did that look like for you prior to your, your um, eating disorder starting? Um, well, let's see. Well, one, I have to start off with saying I have a very, very supportive family. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as growing up around like food, so uh, I'm an only child and I lived with my mother and father growing up. And my father's a huge health nut. Mm-hmm. Um, he works out like twice a day. He's a fireman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so growing up, like we never really had like sweets or anything in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember like my mother and my father like saying little things like, like, all right, if I went to go eat, like, two bowls of cereal or something, like, oh, you mm-hmm. shouldn't eat that. It's going to catch up to you when you get older. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did dance from, I believe, age 5 to, like, uh, I don't know, 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, like, even before the eating disorder started, um, you know, comparing myself to all the other girls there because right. I was a little bit bigger. My mom said I started gaining weight after um, I started asthma medication. Mm. So I think from then, my mind started mm-hmm. going with those thoughts, mm-hmm. even before acting on it. Um, and I also um, have a cousin who we're six days apart. And so, you know, there's a lot of comparisons there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so I think, like, you know, like, we always had healthy food in the house. But mm-hmm. um, I think it was more just so, like, little comments here and there, not even just from family. You know, that's a normal thing that families do. Right. Um, but just from people all over, comparing yourself, things like right. that. Right. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I, you know, it, I, I don't I don't think people realize how kids internalize that stuff, like stuff that we just say off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause I can even think of things, you know, little things that, you know, my mom said to me and, you know, I didn't really have any, um, you know, weight issues growing up or anything like that, but I was a thicker girl, you know, but I can just remember little things that I never thought I internalized, but as I got older, you know, I recognized that I was still kind of playing that reel in my head. And, you know, and honestly, this has been a really great lesson for me and raising my son to just always be incredibly cognizant of what I say to him. You know, whether it's to him, whether it's about him, whether it's about myself, um, you know, so it's it's just interesting. Like we just, you know, and, you know, I come from a family of smart asses, so it, it's been really hard to kind of break that pattern. But it's just interesting that you say that, like all those little things, you know, and they may have been subtle that just kind of, you know, probably stuck with you and affected you. Yeah, um, I'm I just feel like you know, like families, parents, we're not mindful um, of the things that we say a lot, right? Right. And like you said, it could be it could be harmless, but those little things, people catch on to it. And like, mm-hmm. I actually didn't think about how those little comments affected me right until you just asked me that. Wow. And yeah. I'm someone who is very self-aware. I'm constantly studying myself, mm-hmm. studying the different things that I go through. Right. Um, you know, right. not to blame my parents for anything. But oh, like, yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, I think the majority of the time, you know, they and, and, you know, me as a parent, we just do the best we can with what we have at that given time. Right. Um, but you probably, you know, I think you don't necessarily see that and understand until you are an adult or until you become a parent. Then you can kind of see them as people and be like, oh, OK, you know, I kind of get it now. So, yeah. Um, and going along with like 
for example, the food comments, if your culture does not even believe that that's a thing, right? right. No one else in your family has that. Then right. why would making those little comments even affect your child growing up? Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of tie in with that a little bit, I want to just diverge for just a second. You mentioned, um, you know, uh, you know, dealing with bipolar disorder, whatever. And I think that too is so interconnected with this because I think in general, mental health is just such a taboo subject in, you know, black families and black culture for a variety of reasons. Um, were, was your family supportive when you were diagnosed and sort of how did that kind of interplay with the eating disorder diagnosis? Um, at first, so they were always gave me whatever treatment I needed. That's mm-hmm. first and foremost. But they didn't understand. Um, one of the comments I would get is, but you love eating. I always see you eat. Okay, right. you see right. me eat, but you don't see what I do after. Right. Or actually, right. we're not even eating together at home. So do you actually see me eat? Mm. And also, um, you know, my, my father would compare my eating disorder to his struggles grow, um, growing up with even just trying to find food to eat for dinner. Mm. And mm-hmm. so there's mm-hmm. that, you know, like that, um, that different zeitgeist that people are from, right? you know, trying to figure out how could somebody be so ungrateful, right? They view right. it like that. Right. Um, you know, at first they felt like I was being selfish. and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not like that it was necessarily a choice. Right, right. There's a point where it comes out of your hands. So initially, no, they were not, they didn't understand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you're not educated on something, you don't really understand. And I don't think even now they fully understand everything, but they're still supportive. Yeah. Um, You know, they had to get a lot of education with the eating disorder, with um, medications, with the mental health diagnosis. Even still now, like, you know, I have to remind them about like how, just because I function well every day, because I hold a full-time job, because I balance right. multiple things, does not mean that this is not a daily choice to be well, right. Um, right. that this isn't a struggle, and that just because I'm doing better now doesn't mean that I'm fully okay. I think right. they felt that, oh, we got her treatment. She's been in treatment for a few years now. She should be good. Oh, she's cured, right. Yes. Right. right. Um, yeah. And they still check on me, but... Mm-hmm. It's hard, and I understand that. I just feel like a lot of people are uneducated about, yeah. and even like what an eating disorder should look like. Right. What right. bipolar disorder should look like. I got mm-hmm. told the other day at a fair, some guy was telling me about his son seeking treatment and that he had bipolar disorder. And my job is to disclose to others, to model recovery and show them, like, you know, it's possible to get better and to live a mm-hmm. successful life. Mm-hmm. And I told him, you know, that I also had bipolar disorder. And he was like, what? You and you work here? Like, oh, you don't look like you have bipolar disorder. Uh, <laughs> and it's kind of like, like? <laughs> exactly. And it's kind of like when I got the, you don't look like you have an eating disorder because mm-hmm. I'm not underweight and emaciated, you know? Right, right. And I think you bring up a really good point. Um, and, and uh, you know, let me just insert this disclaimer. I am not an expert. I am not certified to deal with eating disorders or anything of that nature. So if you do feel like you need some help, definitely seek the help of a professional. Um, but I was wondering if you could maybe share, you know, sort of like 
what that means. And I know it's individual, like everyone's, you know, everything's going to look a little different, right. For each person, but what are some, you know, maybe telltale signs or kind of, you know, key signals people can look at either for themselves or maybe a loved one that might signal that they might have some disordered, um, you know, eating behaviors or even a full blown eating disorder. Um, so also full disclaimer, I am almost, I'm working my way to being a professional. <laughs> I just have a lot of personal experience and I do work in the field. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, and I will also give you resources to provide the listeners. At the oh, end awesome. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so let's see. So you want to pay attention um, to people's behaviors one after they're eating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, see if maybe they're getting up quickly to use the bathroom. That's always a sign um mm-hmm. if they're now it gets tricky right like when we're uh training and we're having to watch our diet too right and our food intake so mm-hmm. there's like a mm-hmm. fine line um obsessing over calories or what they're eating like i don't necessarily track my calories mm-hmm. um but i do pay attention to what i put into my body mm-hmm most of the time, you know, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you got to live a little. Sometimes you got to live a little. Uh, so that um, restricting or cutting out certain foods, um, like mm-hmm. I said, it's still a tricky line, right? right. Um, but maybe being like labeling food as good and bad. Mm-hmm. And that's something that society has ingrained in us yes. to label food as good and bad. But, right. um, you know, some people have trigger foods and that would be a Mm -hmm. food that would make them very uncomfortable or a safe Mm -hmm. food, a food that makes them feel well, feel safe, um, and that they're comfortable eating. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. maybe if somebody's isolating, researching, uh, isolating, you know, like maybe they don't want to go out to eat with you guys. Maybe they're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, like I personally have trouble eating around people. I don't know. I'm very Hmm. conscious about that. Um, I feel like everybody's looking at me, judging mm-hmm. what I'm eating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to pay attention to uh, if they're being secretive about their food. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're not finishing all of their food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I that is not my ministry. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's some restrictions um, behavior. Um, you know, if they're being very, very strict about their diet or if they're overeating um, and mm-hmm. they're stress eating, emotional eating, there's binge eating disorder, there's different forms of bulimia. You have the binging and purging. You have the purging and restricting type, um, mm-hmm. which is what I had. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different forms of anorexia. Yeah. Um, and I think just to, to kind of um, interject right there, I think that's one of the, and we'll get to this a little later, but I think that's actually one of the reasons why our communities have a hard time believing that there are those of us that, you know, deal with this because when you think about, you know, I can think about, you know, these ABC after school specials I used to see when I was a kid about anorexia and it was always an incredibly thin white girl Mm -hmm. from like an upper middle class family, you know what I mean? And it's like, that's so unrelatable for us. And like, I think, you know, a lot of us, you know, that's a, that's not necessarily our natural body types anyway. So if you see somebody who's kind of a thick girl or a larger girl, you're going to be like, you know, it's going to be hard for you to sort of believe them, I guess, if they say that they are struggling with this or are dealing with this. So, 
Um, you know, I, I think it's important to point out that, you know, like you said, it can look like anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it can, you know, and, and I guess too, another question for you is that, do you find in your professional work, um, have you found that, you know, again, like I think that sort of profile for a white girl's eating disorder is, you know, thin, you know, well-educated, usually um, upper middle class. Do you find any of those same markers in our community or does it kind of go across you know, socioeconomic lines and, and all that good stuff. So, um, honestly, uh, in my, like in my current job, I have not really come across eating disorders at all. Um, mm-hmm. it's not something that we necessarily specialize in. Um, okay. it's very important that somebody who has an eating disorder goes to a place where they specialize in it so that they can get the proper treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but with mental health, However, um, we're actually talking about this at work. We have an entire cultural committee um, where we talk about the healthcare disparities and Mm -hmm. how the media portrays mental illness. So the the demographics and the socioeconomic status of the county I live in, uh, a large majority of it is, you know, upper class, Mm -hmm. white, um, Mm -hmm. but another majority of it is... um, people of color with a low socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. And um, so I wouldn't say that, no, I actually wouldn't say at least for my, because I work at a community mental health center, gotcha. um, that that's the type of, you know, typical person that I see. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when I worked at an inpatient psychiatric hospital, um, it was actually surprising to me how many people of color were coming in with severe mental illness. Right. Um, right. And I was shocked because like I said, recently I've come to the realization that no, this is not a white thing. And here I am right. 24 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's people who are younger than me and people who are way older than me right? who are still stuck in that mindset that I was in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, um, you know, you missed a good deal of your senior year of high school and treatment and recovery. What did that look like? Like, what did, what is, you know, and again, recognizing that it's going to be individual to each person, but what did your journey with recovery, like when you started, like, what did that look like and involve? Um, it was very tough. So there's different levels of treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, you have outpatient, which most people are familiar with. You know, you go and you see... Uh, your provider probably once a week or once every other week. Um, mm-hmm. There's intensive outpatient, which um, some people, uh, some places, it's about three days a week, three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have partial hospitalization. And so the one that I was in was five days a week, eight hours a day. Now, when you uh, say providers, are you usually seeing a psychiatrist, psychologist, a medical doctor? Like what? what do those providers typically look like that specialize in this kind of work? By providers, I mean a social worker, um, psychologist, um, or like, you know, like a a therapist, which would be a social worker or a licensed counselor. Um, Psychiatrists, from my experience, you don't, you maybe see them like once a month, once every Mm -hmm. other month. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't see them weekly normally. Um, So being in treatment, I actually started, I was supposed to start, Actually, they wanted to put me in residential treatment, and that's where you go and you live there for a little right. bit um, in the right. treatment. But I was like, no, this is my senior year. Like, yeah. I'm not doing that. So right. Right. I was supposed to go into the partial hospitalization, um, and then insurance was like, mm, no. 
No. <laughs> so <laughs> I started off in the IOP and I actually got worse. Um, mm. And then I did go into the partial hospitalization. So what it looked like was it was very structured. Mm-hmm. I have people that I don't know and tons of girls around me who are fitting the typical, um, you know, picture of what an eating disorder should look like, right? Right. Mm-hmm. White, upper middle class or upper class, mm-hmm. um, and very thin. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they were all fantastic, but you know, like that's what I was around. And then here I am, right? Not white, right? And overweight mm-hmm. with an eating with a severe eating disorder in the same program as them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was definitely difficult to change my entire routine I mean I had to eat there we had to process our feelings um, Mm -hmm. after eating you you weren't allowed to go to the bathroom without being um, watched which you know that's different Um, having restrictions you can't even chew gum really at all Mm. Um, you know limits on your caffeine Mm -hmm. constantly reporting on your feelings Um, and then you're around people who are either at the same level as you or worse or a little bit better Mm -hmm. and when you're in that kind of setting, um, and this goes for partial hospitalization, inpatient settings, um, mm-hmm. an IOP, it's very nice to be around people who are struggling with similar things because it's nice to relate to people. Um, it's very right. comforting. However, it can also be triggering and sometimes make you worse if you're not grounded enough. Right. Um, so like I said, I did get worse at first, probably from, you know, hanging out with um, other unhealthy people who are there and comparing myself, Mm. maybe thinking that I'm pretty sure I had the thought I have to be more sick. So that way people are taking me much more seriously than they are now so that I can be um, as equally valued as these other skinny white girls around me. Mm. Um, It was very helpful. I will say Mm -hmm. that even though I learned a lot, I learned about mindfulness and mindfulness, you know, practicing that daily has truly changed my life. Um, Mm -hmm. I got the diagnosis I needed for my mental health issues because I did not have that diagnosis before I sought treatment. Um, Mm -hmm. I was started on medication, which has been Mm -hmm. helpful, which my parents were very against at first. um, Okay. Because there's also medication for the mental health part. Yes. And also certain. So eating disorders are also, like I said, an addiction, um, right. somewhat of a compulsion sometimes. So, yeah. um, like certain like antidepressants can help with that as oh, well. I didn't realize that. And um, or certain uh, certain uh, medications work as like an appetite suppressant, um, and everything goes hand in hand. You know, mental health, eating disorders, mm-hmm. uh, drug addiction. But wait a minute, wouldn't you not want an appetite? I wouldn't. No. And certain people wouldn't, but maybe if you have binge eating disorder. Okay. I Mm -hmm. understand. I got you. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I understand. You know, like all medications have more than just one use. Right. Um, Right. But there's also the misconception that, oh, you're going to go on meds. You're going to be a zombie. You're going to get addicted. And that's not the case. Um, Right. I now practice a very integrated approach. So I'm on psych psychotropic medication along with supplements Mm -hmm. um and so you know my doctor's fantastic she doesn't just like bounce me out with meds every single time I have an issue right um but you know being in treatment missing my senior year a large chunk of it and then going back to school and not even going back to like a regular routine 
I had to eat with the nurses or the guidance counselor. I had to be escorted to the bathroom during certain periods. So mm-hmm. I'm like 17 years old, almost 18 at this point. And, um, you know, living a very restricted life because right. I was in recovery. Right. Um, and my parents being on top of everything, constantly watching over me, which mm-hmm. I'm entirely grateful for. Right. Um, I wish somebody would have told on me sooner. Mm. And I think. Do you think that fear. was because you were doing you were doing such a good job of hiding it, or just people were just kind of like, uh, it was like the elephant in the room. So there was a point where I was good at hiding it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you become very good at hiding it. I could actually. I would not, but I could actually go back into my eating disorder now. People would not know unless Mm -hmm. they truly knew me and paid attention. Um, I think my friends knew. My family did not. But, you know, like, there's a fear. Do I tell them they're going to be really mad at me? Right. Is the, you know, what line do I cross? Especially because you're so young, you know? It's not Mm -hmm. like you, you know, were able to appreciate that this isn't my fault, right? Yeah. Um, and I wanted to, re- I wanted to reach out a few times, but I, I never did. And I think it's because, um, getting better is scary mm. when you lived a certain way for a long time, knowing the other side of that, which is unknown to you at that time, right. Right. um, even though it might be better is a lot scarier than staying in the dark place that you're in. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. Right. No. And um, I didn't actually start being honest with everybody until my therapist at the time said, you're only as sick as your secrets. Mm, girl, <laughs> preaching tonight. That is so true. And that has stuck with me throughout all of these years. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in 2011, I got that. So, so seven years now. Um, mm-hmm. And also you cannot make progress without being honest. But I think a lot of it, is being afraid of what's on the other side. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was always afraid of what it felt like to be better because I didn't know anything other than right. the eating disorder. Right. And also, right. you know, like how your family and friends react because yeah. whether they're supportive or not, their reactions are um, worrisome sometimes. Yeah. And I think when you become, when, when your family, you know, and your friends identify you in a certain capacity, right? Whether that's a negative or a positive identification, when that changes, it can be hard, right? Because they are so used to you being a certain way, right? So they're used to dealing with, you know, one type of Kayla and then in recovery and getting better, you know, you're going to change. And I think a lot of times that can be difficult, you know, to process. So I, you know, I definitely, you know, I can definitely understand your concerns around that. Um, So two questions. The first one is, um, you, you know, mentioned that this was kind of happening during your senior year, which is already a tumultuous time anyway, because you're trying to figure out your future and where you're going and what you're doing. So did you um, take some time off before going to college or did you go to college? And if so, how did that impact your recovery? Because, you know, one of the great things about going off to college is you're finally free of your parents and you get to be (laughs) independent and, you know, do what you want to do, so to speak, and not have kind of as structured as a, of a schedule. So how did that, how did that look for you? So I actually, um, I got, originally I wanted to do occupational therapy and I was accepted into an occupational therapy program right out of high school. Mm -hmm. And I was already and gung ho 
for my parents to drop $40,000 a year right? Ooh, <laughs> for yes. me to, you know, go and do what I wanted to do. Um, but then, you know, they sat down and they talked to me and they said, listen, honestly, we don't really think that you're mentally stable enough to mm. do this right now. And, right. you know, we fought back and forth. I ended up going to a community college near me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually grateful that I did because, mm-hmm. um, so I did go to school right away. Um, okay. I did take some time off in 2000. And, so I went to college 2012. I took some time off in 2013 because, um, I, I basically had like a mental uh, breakdown and I ended up in mm-hmm. the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I took some time off from there, which drew me back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as recovery during college, I mean, you know, college just adds more stress to, uh, to right. you, but you also meet a lot of people there who right. open your eyes and, you know, you explore with, um, I had very supportive friends in college. Mm-hmm. I'm very open, um, mm-hmm. about myself. I feel like in order to understand me, I actually disclose right away when I meet people. Um, mm-hmm. there's some back and forth about that, um, within the mental health community. I do it because. I need you to understand that, like I said, just because I'm functioning, doing the same exact things as you, right. does not mean that I'm not struggling. And I need people right. to understand when my mood switches on them uh, or gotcha. why one day I'm super talkative and then the next week I'm not talking to you really at all because I need some time to myself. Right. Um, and what my therapist actually said something to me the other day about bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, if you have um, a physical diagnosis where maybe maybe it's like a muscle issue, right, um, mm-hmm. where you know that every day you wake up and you're going to be in pain or you can't walk or, you know, something. With bipolar disorder, it's like you wake up, you're functioning, you're optimistic, you're doing everything you need to do. And then the next day you wake up and it's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard to um, explain that to people. Right. So, like, at least, you know, back to your question with college, um, I had freedom. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sold that home, but I did have freedom. And I think uh-huh. at first I wasn't doing too great because I had that freedom, right? Right. I was at school right. all day. Right. So, and when I, um, when I ended up, actually ended up in the hospital, my parents didn't know until I was about to be admitted. Mm. I actually okay. just called my cousin, and he picked me up and took me to the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. And so... You know, like, I, I had that freedom. Uh, right. How were they supposed to know unless I told them? Right, right. Because like it's not like they're else. escorting you to, you know, while you're at school. You don't exactly. have anyone around escorting you, know, you to eat in and... the bathroom and all that, right? Exactly. Wow. So I had to open up to people in order to gain that support that I needed to keep me on track. Right, right. Wow. So, you know, I know we talked a little bit about, um, you know, using, you know, um, an eating disorder, or it's kind of a mode of control, I think, for, you know, you mentioned for, you know, when you don't feel in control of other aspects of your life, what have you, right? Mm-hmm. So I would imagine, you know, in recovery, in learning how to cope with stressful times, you have to find something to replace that old activity that you use to cope with stress. So what what were what were some of the coping and self-care mechanisms that you've learned to use in place of um, you know, uh, binging or restrictive, um, or purging or restrictive eating? Um, mindfulness, breathing mm-hmm. activities, 
meditating, um, coloring, you know, like those mindfulness mm-hmm. coloring pages that they have, um, mm-hmm. exercising, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I have to be careful and monitor. Honestly, communication. Um, mm-hmm. I play guitar and I play piano a little bit and I sing, so that mm-hmm. would definitely help with coping. Um, uh-huh. Just basic things. You know, you have to keep your mind occupied. Right. Um, If I really couldn't get past an urge, I would just take a nap. Mm, Interesting. Working, um, Mm -hmm. you know, doing schoolwork, really just staying busy, uh, keeping Mm -hmm. your mind occupied. And whenever I had an urge, I would reach out to somebody and Mm -hmm. work through it, go minute by minute, five minutes, ten minutes, uh, until it passed. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it didn't pass. Sometimes I acted on it. um, But, you know. We all have different coping skills. Some people right. take showers. Some people drink tea. Um, I love tea, by the way. Huge tea oh, fanatic. So do I. Oh, <laughs> I will criticize everybody about <laughs> how they steep their tea because certain leaves burn a certain way. <laughs> oh, yes. We will have to have a whole conversation yes. about that, girl. Um, and, you know, just different things. You have to have an outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, originally, sometimes I substituted negative behaviors. Um, right, right. And that's, you know, that happens a lot. But, mm-hmm. you know, mostly just staying active, staying focused, um, really channeling all my energy into either something creative I write as well or, mm-hmm. you know, things I need what to do. You, do. Do you write like short stories or you mean like journaling? Or... Um, I do poems, I have short stories. Um, I started a memoir. I was going to say, I feel like there's a book coming somewhere. <laughs> uh, I started it. I haven't touched it in a while but I feel like every little piece that I write here mm-hmm. and there can all go in there somewhat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're working on it what happens is uh I'll get like really excited about something and I'll start right. it and then it'll die down and I'll get, right. get excited about or 10 things at once mm-hmm. um sometimes the person bipolar disorder you just get in this hypomanic stage and you mm-hmm. do all the things right um but yeah, I, I really do need to work on that book a little more. Okay. Well, we will listen. I will be the first in line to buy it. Um, yes. Speaking of which, y'all, um, Kayla actually was the one who turned me on to um, this book. It's called Not All Black Girls Know How to Eat by Stephanie Covington Armstrong. And I'll definitely um, post the link in the information. But I mean, just in the short amount of time that I've read it, um, been reading it, I've really learned a lot more about sort of like what that, you know, kind of that picture of, of a black woman suffering or black girl suffering with an eating disorder looks like. And it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. <laughs> so I strongly recommend it either if it's, you know, something you're, you yourself are struggling with, or, um, you know, if you have a loved one or know someone or just are a little bit more curious about an experience that's different than yours. So just a little plug for that book, but um, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, yeah, I was super excited when I saw that book because I've yeah. never seen, I read yeah. a lot and that's actually how I got through, um, right. all those years without seeking help. I would just read a lot about what yeah. I was going through. Well, and... you know, what was so crazy to me is that, you know, in, in reading it, like I saw so much of myself in, 
um, you know, the author. And, and again, you know, eating disorder wasn't something that was necessarily a struggle for me, but there were other things that I've struggled with, um, mm-hmm. you know, from childhood until now and some, you know, mental health things too. And it's just, it's so crazy to me how there's this common theme amongst black women. Right. Um, and I think, you know, that kind of leads me to, you know, my next question, like, why do you think this is such a taboo subject amongst black women? Because I've almost feel like it's one of those things where, you know, whether it's someone listening to this episode or, you know, going to look at that book or whatever, the more conversation that happens, it'll be like, Oh girl. Yeah, me too. I've dealt with that. I've dealt with that. So there's all these people walking around thinking they're the only ones, but they're not. Um, Why do you think that's such a taboo subject for us? I think it's the, definitely the way we were raised, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely the way mm-hmm. society raised us as well. Right. Um, I will say, honestly, that I don't think that I grew up with a lot of the struggles that other black women grow up with mm-hmm. because I was raised primarily in a white family. Right. Um, I am mostly now just realizing what it means to be a black woman in America right now, mm. how that affects me, mm-hmm. um, also being mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually wasn't until, um, I started working at my current job and, um, you know, I started, uh, you know, sisters of powerlifting, um, that page on Instagram, mm-hmm. the community really has opened my eyes, um, yeah. of everybody in there. So definitely have to give Pretty a shout dope. out, <laughs> <laughs> definitely have to give a shout out to them. Yes. Hey, sisters of powerlifting. Yes. What's up? We love you. Um, but I think, like, I, I think it's so taboo because we have other things to fight for right now right. than our mental health. Or right. maybe that's the perception. I mm-hmm. definitely don't think that's true. Right, right. Um, but, you know, and like I said, you have to be the strong black woman. You cannot let the man see you down. You cannot let the man see you be weak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is what you're taught with. Um, why do you, why do you think that it's so taboo? I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with you on that. I mean, like I said, you know, earlier, I think that strong black woman trope is probably the worst thing that ever happened to black women, quite frankly, mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't allow us the space to be soft and it doesn't allow us the space to be vulnerable. And it's just, you know, I think it's just something that's been handed down, honestly, since, you know, slavery, like we had no choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I remember, you know, my mom, you know, her famous recurring <laughs> words were, don't you let them white folks see you cry. Right. Um, and I didn't really understand what that meant necessarily until I got a little older, but I mean, even to this day, like I, I don't, I mean, I consider myself to be a pretty emotional person. Like I feel things, but I don't cry. Like I very rarely cry. Um, and it's not because I don't want to, or I'm not trying to, I think it's just been so ingrained in me that it doesn't even occur to me. Like when something is upsetting to me, you know, I'll be upset about it. I'll be sad, but very rarely do I cry about something. Unless of course it's something stupid, like a dog story. Like I I have no problem crying about that, but like, um, in a more sort of negative, sad emotion way, I don't, I don't cry a lot. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, honestly, I really think too, one of the other things is, Um, And I don't know sort of what your spiritual affiliation is, but I really do think, you know, being raised in a culture that reveres religion 
um, I really think that that has deeply impacted not only black women, black people in general, in terms of being able to be open and honest about mental health, right? Because what's the first thing your grandmama tells you? Pray about it. Yep. My mom, (laughs) when I was 11, originally they kind of knew about my mental health issues. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And she brought me to church, brought me to the pastor. Mm-hmm. The pastor mm-hmm. was like, suicide is a sin. You cannot, you know, do this way. You just have to pray about it, read the Bible. And, you know, so. Well, that's a nice thing to tell a kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so I understand that, you know, to an extent. Or this right. is just the devil plagued me. You don't really have this. Um, right, right. You know, you have a demon and you're this, you know. Yeah. God can get rid of all of that. And I believe in prayer, right? Right, um, yep. I definitely believe that all my struggles are just a strengthening exercise. I was just telling somebody earlier, my girlfriend mm-hmm. actually, that, um, you know, I feel like, not to get too deep into religion, but like, you know, like that God won't give me anything that I cannot handle. Right. Um, for sure. Um, one of my favorite lines is, um, God's got a plan for you. So don't live life in fear. Forgive mm-hmm. and forget, but don't forget why you're here. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And, like um, that. You know, but like I said, uh, like you were saying, it definitely just is ingrained in us from just growing up. Um, And I don't actually don't let myself cry either. Well, you said you don't cry. I don't let myself cry. Mm. I don't like to Mm. be seen as messy and vulnerable, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. especially with everybody knowing everything about me, which I'm fine with. Right. I I believe that my story and my successes and my failures, um, I hope that they touch the lives of others and they will, um, most definitely you know show people that they are not alone in this and that's why I'm right. so happy we're doing this podcast yep. and I hope that the people who listen to your podcast um, if they are struggling with any mental health issues any slight disordered eating or severe disordered eating like you know that they seek the help or have sought help and know that um, just because we were taught that this is not a thing in our community that it is and it's okay right right Right. And like um, we said earlier, we will definitely provide some resources for folks to, you know, do a little research or reach out to, you know, because, again, I think it's one of those things that, you know, if one person stands up, a lot of people will then say, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm feeling this way, too. Um, You know, much like we started, you know, this community and Sisters of Powerlifting and Queens of Weightlifting, like we're out there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, I think, a matter of finding each other and having a safe space to um, you know, talk about, talk about those kinds of issues. Um, so I wanted to kind of delve a little bit into strength sports and, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, how this interacts with that. So the first thing I wanted to, to talk a little bit about is like I mentioned earlier, you know, I think there's this definite push and, um, you know, the amount of visibility that, you know, like, let's say powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting and crossliving have gotten in the last few years has been really great for women in terms of, you know, encouraging them to be strong and take up space and to be comfortable with their bodies and, you know, to not necessarily focus on what it looks like, but what their bodies can do. However, I think when you start getting into things like competitive, you know, strength sports and dealing with weight classes and things like that, I think that there, you know, that makes it a situation where, you know, it it could become problematic for folks who are either struggling with eating or maybe they weren't before. And, you know, they decide that they want to compete, you know, in powerlifting and, you know, they're at 72 kilogram weight class and they want to drop down to 63 or even lower than that and what that looks like and if it's necessary and, 
you know, I, I guess I wanted to get your take on that. Like, do you, you know, kind of, do you see that at all kind of in your experience or do you see that becoming an issue and kind of how to, you know, combat against that? And I know you're just kind of getting started in powerlifting and strongman, but I'm, I'm really curious as to your take on that. Um, I think it can definitely become for sure problematic um, for anybody. Like you said, like with your story before, you didn't see it as an issue before, and then you started noticing it, right? Even right. like little habits. Um, mm-hmm. I myself personally have caught myself recently stressing about not eating enough mm-hmm. or enforcing myself to eat on days when I'm not working out, um, mm-hmm. thinking about my weight class when I go to compete next year. Um, mm-hmm. Am I going to stay in my weight class? Am I going to try and drop? I mean, the girls in my weight class are... <laughs> unbelievable i mean it's goals actually um right right pretty much everybody in this sport but like you know um stressing about what i'm putting into my body and if what i eat that day is going to affect how i lift later which you know we all know that you know food is fuel and um we have to respect our bodies with the food that we put in it but you know sometimes the cinnamon roll is looking really good Mm -hmm. and you want to eat it um But I've noticed it become a small problem um, within myself recently. So I did talk to my therapist about it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've talked to my support system about it. Um, And I have somebody who uh, we actually both meal prep every week and then we swap Mm -hmm. our meal preps. Oh, cool. Yes. Um, So I work with her and we swap our meal preps. And so that keeps me on track. Um, And also we hold each other accountable. You know, hey, did you eat Mm -hmm. today? Did you drink your water? Um, Right. So I think if you catch yourself with, um, you know, those eating disordered habits, I would, you know, reach out to help if you feel that um, it's getting out of control or just reach Mm -hmm. out to your support system, Mm -hmm. um, have an accountability buddy Mm -hmm. um, and really just step back and check, you know, check yourself, check, you know, should you really be breaking yourself down this much for a sport that you enjoy because weightlifting is grounding. Right. And you know, when we walk into the gym, our problems, we leave it all at the door, right? Mm -hmm. Leave it all Mm -hmm. at the door, take those weights up off the floor. I say that, I say that to myself every day. Um, and you know that you cannot perform your best if you're not fueling your body properly. Right. That's one thing I have to remind myself. Um, Mm -hmm. And, like, it's supposed to be fun, you know? There's discipline, there's patience, there's persistence, um, but there's also these problems that come up. So my advice, like I said, is really just be open and honest with yourself first. Mm -hmm. Be self-aware. Notice, pay attention to how um, you're feeling about your food. Pay attention if you're working out um, extra hard because you ate that brownie earlier, right? Right. Or because your food, you went over your macros. Um, And... Seek support. Um, breathe. Just be right. present and notice and know that mistakes are okay, right? We you know we're not going to be yeah. perfect every day with our eating, with right. our workouts. Yeah. Some days that um, that weight that you were lifting yesterday is no problem. It's heavier the next day. Every day um, is different. Every day is every different. Day is different. Um, I, I found think... too. For oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, and I found for me, um, in it. I've heard other people say this too. Like I, when it just gets really overwhelming or I get kind of in my head a lot, I take a break from social media because it is social media. Instagram is such a mind fuck. 
Yeah. Like, it will have you thinking that everybody is, you know, 2% body fat and, you know, deadlifting five times body weight and, you know, it just, no. <laughs> and I think, you know, people and myself included, I have to remind myself, you know, this is curated. People put forth the images that they want to. There are some people who are transparent and will let you see kind of the real deal, but a lot of people do not because they're trying to make money from this. So yeah. you have to be very, I think, mindful, especially as a, a as a beginner in these sports, you have to be very mindful of what is realistic, what is reasonable, you know, what makes sense for someone starting out in the sport, I think. Um, and that I find that to be helpful for me, you know, and I mean, I'm, I'm relatively new, you know, I mean, I've been lifting weights for probably well over half my life, but I even have to say, bitch, you're 47. Like you're not doing no two a days. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, I have to constantly check myself too. So listen, I've been trying those two a days. Listen, <laughs> I think, um, you know, I think that's helpful too, just to, you know, kind of give that perspective, like it's social media, media <laughs> being the operative word. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I definitely think that that's something too, that we need to be careful about. Um, did you find powerlifting or did it find you? I have been interested in it for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. Both of my shoulders, my rotator cuffs, um, they're not too great. One mm -hmm. subluxates, which means it half dislocates anytime I raise it. Um, oh, so I was always very weary about doing it. Um, mm -hmm. And then this summer, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go hire a personal trainer. And mm -hmm. luckily, my personal trainer, uh, Sean, thank you. He's at Savage mm -hmm. City Strength in Hillsborough, New Jersey. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he knows how to work with those types of injuries. Um, and so he's been really helping to strengthen my shoulder. Um, mm -hmm. Teach me patience. When I went into powerlifting, um, so when I was work, when I was lifting recreationally at the gym, I would do all my reps and then go to max out. And then when I started <laughs> uh, powerlifting, and I'm he's over here bringing me back to the basics. Right. You know, I'm over here doing, gosh, so many reps mm -hmm. um, with a lightweight dying. Right. And then wondering why this lightweight is killing me when I can max out at this weight. Um, and teaching me that patience and persistence yeah. and consistency and commitment, mm -hmm. and uh, a little, <laughs> yes, a little alliteration for you guys. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I guess I searched for the power lifting, but something, mm -hmm. something happened. I don't know what in June that just clicked into me and I was like, no, just go do it. And right. I've never felt more at home with, uh, like I'm so passionate about it and there's nothing mm -hmm. more grounding than pushing your body to its limits, seeing what it's capable right. of. Right. Um, and that soreness, that's actually the soreness, uh, you know, like that, that Dom's is real sometimes. And, yeah. um, that actually helps with my recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, so? so I sometimes, um, struggle with like being present um mm -hmm. and I have a history of self-harm and so the soreness kind of you know it's like okay you worked out you did this you are present you're here um right and you know you can feel your body it helps me just to get in touch with my senses sometimes hmm. interesting um hmm. and like one of the things that I like to do to be mindful 
And when you're lifting, right, you have to pay attention to your form. You have oh, to pay yes, attention to everything you're doing. I have right. hurt my back a couple times by lifting. I'm sure as many people have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to be present for that hour to two hours every day or, you know, you got to take right. a rest day, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, you truly, do. You do. You do. <laughs> Everybody needs to rest. Um, truly been very grounding for me and helping with my recovery and staying on track. Mm-hmm. I also, I need routine. Um, if my routine gets thrown off, I don't do well. Mm-hmm. So having that routine, um, having that support from both my trainer and everybody else around me um, mm-hmm. is amazing. So for sure. And definitely, like I said, since I've joined that community that we all have on Instagram, um, yeah, I've had so many people, you know, reach out to me and mm-hmm. comment and give me tips. Um, <laughs> one person that I talked to also, uh, her Instagram is Queenin, I think, 247. Yes, but Tonya, yes. 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 She's, she's going to be so tickled when she hears this. Oh, my I gosh. I told her I was going to shout her out. I told her. Love um, you, girl. <laughs> and she, you know, like with my Atlas Stones listing, which is one of my favorite yeah. things to do, um, you know, she's she'll give me those little tips here and there. Um, and it's just such a welcoming community. Yeah. Um, and to just see everybody living their best life. I mean. Isn't it awesome Melanin and magic, amazing. melanin I mean, popping. You got to do it all. Listen. Let me tell you, there are some days, especially with all the fuckery that's happening in the world today, there are some days that literally being on that page on Sisters of Power Lifting, Queens of Weightlifting, just, or, you know, just curating images on the chocolate, like that is literally the thing that gets me through the day. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's like, it's like my self-care, you know, I mean, I, I do it because I want us to find each other and support each other, but I also definitely have very selfish reasons because it just really... It just does something in my heart to see it, you know, and it's just like, I'm so thankful anytime, you know, someone, you know, pops up and they're like, oh my God, I, this is amazing. I can't believe I found you guys. And I'm like, yay, another one, right? Like DJ yeah. Um, So, you know, I definitely get it. Like it, it, it's just, you know, it, it, you, they feel like family, even though I would say the majority of people I have not met in person, which right. is kind of crazy if you think about it. So. Um, I actually found which, out though, one of them oh, works with my best friend. Really? My best friend was like, hey, it's actually Coco Soul. So, hey, girl. Hey, girl. <laughs> oh, my God, girl. Everybody's going to be so excited about this episode. I, I love um, her. She's the greatest. My best friend was like, hey, you need to follow this girl. She's powerless. Also, I work with her. And then I was like, hey, everybody follow her. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's great. Um, and it they, is. It's they like also a donated gear to me, so I'm all ready for my first Yes. Yes. Um, you can't beat that. Um, no. You really can. And just okay, to know you have this up, community of people cheering you on, you know, thousands of people, like, it's like they're at your meet cheering you on, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the best feeling ever. So, um, speaking of that, so you mentioned that you have your first meet coming up in, um, February. So what is, what's your training look like at this point? So how my, often, how many days, et cetera. So I go to see my trainer three to four days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, on uh, when I'm not seeing him, I go to my regular gym, um, mm-hmm. I go to Gold's gym mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I do accessory work or mm-hmm. the dreaded cardio, which I firmly <laughs> believe that just lifting the weights faster and more reps. Right. Right. Listen, anything over four reps, I'm like, this is cardio. Four reps? Listen. Girl, you're bugging. I'm thinking maybe over eight reps. <laughs> <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. 
if it's heavy, if it's more than four, uh uh-uh. I'm like, what y'all trying to do to me? (laughs) (laughs) My mock meet, my first mock meet is December 2nd, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, So, you know, we, my split um, there, we do bench day. So, like, today's my bench day. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you do lower body, upper body. And then the weekend is normally, like, a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like I said, in between, I'll do accessories and uh, force myself to do cardio here and there. Listen, I ran for a good two weeks straight. Wow. Now that's impressive. And then I was like, absolutely not. We're going to (laughs) walk. We will not be doing this. We will not be doing this. Um, So I am, I'm going tonight actually after this, this, uh, this little recording we're doing right now. Cool. Um, so do you mentioned, um, you know, uh, stones and, and strongman. So are you also sort of competing and training in that simultaneously? Or are you kind of alternating between the two? Like, how does that figure into your, your plans? So I'll do my, so when I go train, I do my regular powerlifting regimen. Um, and then I'll add mm-hmm. in like the yoke carry some days, um, mm-hmm. the Atlas stones, mm-hmm. uh, the the power stairs um so we'll add all that in the farmer's walk Mm -hmm. um here and there so i'll do like a little bit extra than what is like on the plan for the day Mm -hmm. um here and Mm -hmm. there are you planning to compete soon yeah so um my trainer did inform me that like you know it's (laughs) like he did inform me (laughs) (laughs) he informed me that it's more important to start off with powerlifting to reduce injury Uh uh-huh um which i Ah, totally understand um Mm mm-hmm so after my first powerlifting meet, I will still continue powerlifting, but um, right. the sh- I'm just trying to pull a car one of these days, honestly. That is the uh, goal. Listen, <laughs> I am, anytime, man, I can't even, I can't even, I'm so impressed with strong men. Like, I just don't even understand. I'm like, how, Sway, how? How? So that, that is you, the goal. y'all get all my respect. But there's something about like lifting up weird, heavy objects that, you know, other people around right, you are right. not lifting. That just gets me right. so hype. And, um, you know, I'm constantly bothering everybody around me. Like, look at my video. Look at this stone I just Aww. picked up. Look at me failing. And I like to post my failures <laughs> too. And like yeah. going back to the yeah. social media point where you said, um, I created because i have another instagram that i don't really use anymore but i created mm-hmm. this fitness page uh, to keep me accountable i do catch right. myself being like damn i gotta post this i gotta post that um but i like to be open and honest about um mm-hmm. when i have hard days when i have bad, bad body image days also right um right. that's another thing sorry to look out for um people constantly look in the mirror comparing themselves um criticizing mm-hmm. themselves mood changes also somebody's a little mm-hmm. irritable snappy down want to pay attention mm-hmm. to that um but okay. so like a while ago before i started powerlifting i had a day where i actually slipped up and purged at the gym and mm-hmm. i was very open on about it on my instagram because mm-hmm. it's important to see that we do not have it together all the time um, right right you know you got to post your failures and your successes um yep. and so i I, listen, I tripped carrying the keg yesterday and I posted mm-hmm. it. So, pe- you know, we got to laugh at it too sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think it helps keeps your perspective too. Like, you know, these are passions and, but they're hobbies, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't think anyone's necessarily going to be making a living doing this or, you know, kind of making it their livelihood. So I think it's, you know, it's good to 
keep it in perspective. And like you said, keep it fun. Cause if it's not fun, why do it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what's your favorite lift out of the big three? The deadlift. Why? It's my strongest lift. Um, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's also, um, the lift that I noticed my most progression on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's just my favorite. Um, I'm not a huge fan of squats. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm learning to love them more. Uh, listen, once I started wearing knee sleeves, um, also thank you Change again. This life, is a tireless right? thing for those SD knee <laughs> sleeves. Yes, it changed my changed life. Changed your life. For sure. Yeah. I forgot my knee sleeves yesterday and it was not fun. Um, yeah. So, and I like the bench press, but it's not my strongest um, because mm-hmm. of my shoulder pain. Um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. deadlifting is definitely my favorite. What about yours? Um, you know, I would have to say it's really a toss up between squ- squats and, um, deadlifting. I, I love squats because I think that was kind of the first thing that made me look at my legs, which I always hated growing up in a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just recognized how powerful they actually were and, and squatting is pretty easy for me not as easy these days being damn near 50 and the way my joints are set up. <laughs> However, uh, um, it, it's, you know, it, it's kind of, it's been more of an effortless lift for me. And then second to that, I just, I love deadlifts too. I don't know why I just, I just like them. Bench, I'm working, I'm learning to love. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm learning to love. So yeah, I, I, if, if you tell me I get to squat, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I'm a happy girl. Um, so now it's time for some randomness because I always like to ask random questions. All right. Um, so if you do, in fact, curse, what is your favorite curse word? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I told you it was random. <laughs> honestly, listen, I live in New Jersey and these people drive wild. I also drive wild. <laughs> somebody out. I'm either calling you a fuckhead or... You know, I'm normally saying that, fuck, I'm normally saying the fuck right. word. <laughs> right, 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 right. I just think it's so multi-purpose. Yeah, that's it just funny. goes for everything. All right. And I might have to incorporate fuckhead. That's a, that's a new one for me. Um, yeah, okay. I'm going off so, always. <laughs> so which Beyonce song best describes your life? Here's the thing. And please don't hate me for this. Um, I'm not really a Beyonce fan. Okay, of the ones that you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And if you can't think of one, just in general, what song best describes your life? Best describes my life. So actually, um, my amazing girlfriend, Kenya, who is my number Mm -hmm. one support, she um, is Mm -hmm. obsessed with Janelle Monae. And so right now... um, I got the juice has been my theme song. Okay. It just okay. gets me hype. I like it. You telling me I got the juice, I got the sauce and I like it. You know, that right now that's, that's okay. what I'm heading for. I like it. Um so staying on the music tip, what's on your workout playlist? Um I listen to a lot of Taking Back Sunday. Um mm-hmm. I, I love Nicki Minaj. Um mm-hmm. Sometimes I just listen to instrumental music. My favorite instrumental band is Explosions in the Sky. Kind of depends on mm, the mood, okay. honestly. Um, yeah. I listen to 
metal. I'll listen to mm-hmm. uh, Big Sean sometimes, Eminem okay. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, really a mixture of everything, Five Finger Death Punch, uh, Linkin Park, mm-hmm. just a whole mixture, honestly. Okay, okay. I like it. I like it. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Feel your feelings. Mm, I love that. That's good. I'm look. I'm writing that down. <laughs> I love that. Feel your feelings. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. So, what's on your vision board for 2019? Um, aside from competition, um, mm-hmm. I should be graduating with my bachelor's by then. Hopefully, Yay. spring summer. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Uh, hope my girlfriend lives in Virginia. We're trying to get her to move mm-hmm. down here because I'm not moving. Okay. Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, listen. I have no disrespect for the southern states, but they just move a little too slow for me. Yes, and people tend to forget Virginia is the South. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say what you will. <laughs> now, granted, where she lives is more college. Um, area but it's still slower okay um, and I'm not yeah. about it so mm-hmm. um, that's part of the goal um, okay and really honestly just being more learning more um, you know education mm-hmm. is key you can never stop learning I don't think that's even possible mm-hmm. um, I would like to definitely compete in strong learn by then uh, I plan okay. to go straight into my masters right once I'm done oh. my bachelor's Okay. What um what do you plan to go and uh, get your master's in? So, right now I'm a psych major. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be a social worker or anything. I actually want to go and speak places. So I'm okay. sure at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I'll probably continue with. Um, I might continue with psych. Um, I was actually thinking about doing nursing right after I finished my first bachelor's. Um, because oh, like I said, I want to speak places and. Uh, right. Just credibility, honestly, purposes. And I know a lot about mm-hmm. uh, certain medical things, especially in the psych field. Um, and just people don't give you mm-hmm. the same respect when you don't have that title behind you. Um, right. I'm actually planning on starting some sort of like nonprofit organization for people of color okay. with disordered eating. Um, mm. That's the goal. We need it. Yeah. We need it. So I plan to like this is awesome being able to speak on here. I just want to keep doing certain more things like this. Um, mm-hmm. and raising mental health awareness among people of color. Um, so I'd like to get that project started next year. That's definitely a goal. Okay. Awesome. So my last question for you is tell me three things that Kayla of today would tell 14 year old Kayla. Oh, that's deep. Um, Hmm. Let's see. Oh, gosh. Girl, you did not warn me about this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I would tell 14-year-old Kayla that um, it's okay to hurt other people's feelings in order to help yourself sometimes and by that I mean not being mean to others but I never sought help because I was too afraid that I would hurt my parents and um that's 
definitely where um, where that's coming from. So something mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, I would tell 14-year-old Kayla that she does not have to constantly prove herself. Um, you know, like I said, I was in sports, but I was overweight. So I was always trying to mm-hmm. be as good or better than everybody else on my team, trying to push myself way harder than I needed to overwork myself. Because um, mm-hmm. I was constantly comparing myself. And I would also tell 14-year-old Kayla that um, it's okay to be as messy, unstable, and unsure as you are. You know, you're only 14. Um, I was figuring out my sexuality then. My mental mm-hmm. health issues were, you know, continuing. Um, mm-hmm. And I wasn't okay with myself. And mm-hmm. I didn't think anybody else would be either. So definitely those three things. Ooh. I don't think I could have said it any better than that. When I tell you that this has been an absolute honor for me, like I am completely speechless. Like you are one of the most self-aware, poised, just graceful 24 year olds I have ever, like I'm literally like, there is no way I could be this self-aware at 24. I was a hot fucking mess, hell at 34. So it has just been, I mean, I have learned so much from you this evening. So I definitely want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to you and, you know, share your story with listeners. I think, you know, there are probably so many people out there that are going to listen to this that, you know, it's going to be life changing for them. So, you know, I definitely just want to express my appreciation for that. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Like, what's your IG, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I mostly just, Listen, I think Facebook is for old people. Um, no right, offense. Right, right. All the offense. <laughs> Don't you mean no offense? Who are you talk to, girl? <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, um, it's fine. I mean, I have one, but I don't really use it. So my Instagram uh-huh. is just um, curls and calluses. Um, it's okay. not the calluses part is not spelled the exact proper way, which uh, which is not which is C A L L U S E S. That's not how it is. It has an okay. O U. And I'll put it in the notes yeah. too. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, I respond to everybody. Okay. I try to always comment back. Um, yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm an open book. I love connecting with new people and I just want to thank you for, you know, responding so quickly and getting me on here so quickly. Um, I'm telling you with serendipity that I was up that the night before thinking about doing an episode like this and you popped up and was like, Hey, and I'm like, man, the universe, the universe so, works in mysterious ways. Um, I'm so grateful to, finally have been able to speak um somewhere you know more public than the people who i yeah. know about yeah. this topic um yeah it's, it's amazing wow. absolutely and you know just just like in most black folks house once you're here once you are no longer a guest so i expect you to come back you have an open invitation thank um, you anytime you have something you want to talk about you let me know and uh we can chat about it um thank you you guys again for listening and supporting us and buying a t-shirt and all that good stuff um so you know make sure you check us out on instagram no yeah on instagram um at chocolate bar podcast on itunes and soundcloud for um new podcast episodes website is www.thechocolatebarpodcast.com um leave a rating leave a comment thank you again so much um, and we will see you soon 